And welcome to a special In the Money Players podcast, this focusing on the Pacific Classic Day card, which I'm, I want to refer to as an extravaganza out at Del Mar. The racing at Del Mar has been incredible all summer. We're thrilled to have them as partners here at In the Money Media. And I am joined by Frank Scatoni, our regular man out west. He's been offering you up, frankly speaking, on a daily basis. We are, in fact, the most active members of In the Money Media by this point, Frank. I'm giving us that title even in PTF's absence. He might not necessarily be thrilled. <laughs> I, I would have to agree with you. Uh, although I did see Pete yesterday when we did a uh, we did uh, the recording for the Horse Players Happy Hour uh, to talk a little bit about Pacific Classic Day. But yeah, I mean, every time I open the email, I see uh, Nick's notebook and, frankly speaking, every day. So it's it's nice to see, though. I like it. What a way to start today, right? With the musings of uh, <laughs> of, of two two old fashioned uh, race tracking Italianos. Yeah, no, you, what you you very politely say musings. I might say the insane ramblings of uh, <laughs> of me out here. I did rant. I ranted a lot in yesterday's, actually Wednesday's, about what went on last weekend. And I, I even at the end of it, I put okay, rant over. Yeah. So just making sure everybody understood, I wasn't gonna wasn't gonna go on anymore. Yeah. No. I mean, I do the same thing. You have to kind of get it out of your system because we look, we do this day in and day out, and we put a lot of work into it and. All we want is, a, you know, we want a fair racing product. You know, we want good competitive races to bet on and we'll show up with our money, you know? So, um, but, you know, I also think sometimes, you know, the lack of sleep and, and on all that stuff, you know, I'm sitting there writing, frankly speaking, late at night sometimes and my mind, my mind just kind of wanders all over the place. So I'm lucky to have someone here who looks over my shoulder and reins me in a little bit. So it's, that's always a good thing. Yeah, as you say that, Nick's notebook was a little late this morning because I fell asleep writing it last night. My <laughs> wife told me, you can certainly finish that in the morning. So I took her advice. But uh, yeah, contrary to what you might hear, especially nowadays, there is no game without horse players. And so we appreciate all of you that uh, participate as well. We certainly do our own. So we're going to get right into this late pick five tomorrow at Del Mar. It is an 11 race card. The late pick five is going to start in a race number seven. Of course, the centerpiece is the Pacific Classic. Just a tremendous edition of it. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But we're going to get started with the Del Mar Mile, which is race number seven at a mile on the turf. And, you know, Frank, I have to admit that when Exalted ran in the American, uh, I didn't think that this horse really had a shot whatsoever. And he was not only impressive that day, he came right back and was arguably more impressive in the Shoemaker Mile. By design, he's been off until now with an eye on the Breeders' Cup uh, later on this fall at Santa Anita. Is this as simple as Exalted just really having exerted him, his uh, superiority in this division? You, you know, the funny thing is, I, I probably bet Exalted in every one of his dirt races. <laughs> and then once he got on turf, I decided to get off him. And all he's done is laugh in my face. He's just a completely – I always thought this horse had tremendous ability. And then once Erton put him on the turf, he really, really showed that ability that he always had and he's just been unbelievable perfect for four that being said you know all all day long yesterday as i was going through the card i kept singing to myself you say tomato i say damato i think i'm all about damato in these in these late in these late turf races um you know i actually i love both of his horses here i think number three count again was arguably the best miler in southern california last year obviously after he won the shoemaker mile had a little setback, hit the shelf last May, came back in the Eddie Reed. He was favored, but I don't think he should have been favored that day because all, all along I thought that that was just a prep for this spot. So uh, he broke from the nine hole. He was way off the pace. He ran on late. He finished fourth. 
I think that's a very, very useful race for this horse. You know, he's five for eight and a mile. And I actually think it's his race to lose. Um, and then if not him, Balnikoff, uh, number five. I've always liked this horse. I think this horse has a very, very strong stretch run. He's got come home times that are well above par. Problem is he's not super consistent, but I do think that he really likes this course. Another horse who I thought ran really well in the Eddie Reed in defeat, just missed, losing to his stable mate, Gold Phoenix, who we'll talk about a little later on in the nightcap. But um, I, I thought it was about those two. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am going to use Exalted on my tickets. But, uh, you know, like I said, I'm going to try and beat him again today. But we all know what the definition of insanity is, right? Same thing over and over. <laughs> you know, we horse players know all about it. Um, yeah, just a really good running of it. You know, it's funny about Exalted. There was a a lesser, not a not quite this accomplished of a horse um, that ran recently on the East Coast, Harvey's Little Goyle, who was kind of equally proficient on turf and dirt. She was better on turf when push came to shove. But the big difference was that she had a lot more speed on turf. And that was one of the things that's really surprised me about Exalted is that he has gotten way faster early in his four turf races. Maybe it's just been maturity, but I'm thinking this horse should have been on the turf all along. And Peter yeah. Ertens finally got him there. Peter Ertens having an incredible meet for what it's worth also because he's just, I mean, his pace figures in the Shoemaker Mile last time were very, very good. Yeah, no, I mean, this is a, this is a, a monster horse. But here's, a, here's the other thing that I wanted to point out. Um, that Santa Anita course does play and favor a lot more to this kind of uh, tactical speed type. Del Mar, not so much, especially when the rails are down. So it'll be very interesting to see how he handles the Del Mar turf course. He's never been on it before. And typically when it comes to the Del Mar turf races, I'm looking for a horse who's going to come from off the pace and have that, have that super strong late kick. I can see him being forwardly placed, maybe stalking in a very good spot. And while he's good enough to win that way. That's not often the winning trip here at Del Mar. So that was kind of another reason why I was maybe looking elsewhere uh, than him. But again, like I said, I'm, I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. He's right now the best miler, uh, a turf miler in Southern California. So I will be using him on my backup tickets. Seems like the right move. I took a shot with a horse who's definitely going to have to elevate his game, but I'm going to play more of the, uh, thinking this is a, a not a particularly fast-paced race, even though it is a bulky field. I thought I'm a gambler ran really well last time in the wicker. He's going to have to run better, I know, but I'm at least going to get 10 or 12 to 1 to find yeah. out if he could be good enough. Antonio Fresu opts to go here, and uh, I think he just might get in front of this field. The Timeform U.S. pace projector has him on the front end. I think the only thing it's not considering is that Visitant is going to show some amount of speed. One door to his inside as well. I'm not... I don't have a problem with him latching on to Visitant from an outside stalking spot. And I'm hoping maybe he just gets a jump on some of these horses. My concern with Balnikov, and I picked count again second and Balnikov fourth, is that I want, I fear they might lose too much ground. Mm. But I know kick, closing kick-wise, I've been a count again fan going all the way back to that 2021 Turf Classic at, uh, at Churchill where he ran great closing into just absolutely glacial early yeah. fractions. So I felt like the uh, the Eddie Reed was a big setup for him as well with the eye obviously on this race later in the meet. Um, anybody else in there you wanted to touch on? No, that was, that was it. Um, uh, to your point, though, with Amon Gambler, um, I agree with you. I thought the horse ran terrific in the wicker. Second start of the form cycle now, probably pointed to this race by Mark Glatt. And, um, 
you know, the horse doesn't have to be as forwardly placed as he was in the wicker. He had a break from the 11 pole, so Frazier had no choice but to go and get over. So um, if you look at the, 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 the math of smile, that horse can kind of just track. So the versatility that that horse shows from a running style perspective uh, will definitely favor him a lot more today than it did last time when he had to, he had no choice but to go from the 11 hole. So, yeah, that, that is a good one. I, I'll take another look at that, and I might throw that horse in uh, on my ticket as well. But really, like I said, I, I was all about the D'Amato's here as my top plays in the race. What about DuJour, who I thought was very fortunate to win the wicker last time out? He got some ride. Juan Hernandez kept him inside the whole way. I have a, I have a, a beef with the chart callers in Southern California. They make <laughs> – way too much of trouble way too often this horse had traffic like i'm a marathon runner i mean he had an unbelievable trip last time out i can't imagine him getting that kind of trip again now i mean look i'm not gonna knock this horse at all i mean when do you see a, a bob baffert trainee do what this horse has done on the turf right so it's like the rarest of rare things an older baffert turf horse who's actually really good and continues to, to run some big races uh, but yeah, I was I was kind of against him today. I think last time was the time you wanted to have him, and uh, you know I certainly think that I'm a gambler could reverse form over Dujour uh, Dujour today. You know he's going to get a he's going to get a good inside pocket trip. You know you've got Pratt taking the call, so I would not fault anyone for using him. But uh, he was one that I was going to try and try and beat. Yeah, I, I agree. Best Bob Baffert turf router that comes to your mind. You'll see. Let's see if you can dig into the annals of, uh, of racing history. I don't even know if I can name another one of his turf horses, to be honest with you. I don't remember. My I brain is you know, 52 years old, Nick. My brain isn't as sharp as it used to be. Hey, I'll be 40 in December. I know. Father time's undefeated. <laughs> but uh, the one that comes to mind is Tuzla, who missed in the Breeders' Cup mile by a half a length, 99. Okay. Nice. See, that's a while. Been a while. That's right? showing your 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 excellent knowledge of horse racing history. I, I could have taken a hundred guesses. I never would have got there. Been a, been a long run. It was a narrow miss for uh, Stoner side, of course, owned at that time by uh, Houston Texans owner Bob McNair, who sold ah. Stoner side. And a couple of months later, Stoner side horses got their first Breeders' Cup win when Midshipman won the Juvenile. Uh, let's go to race. Okay, eight. Who, who who won that race uh, when when the Baffert horse ran second? Silly. Zillick for Leo Kanani. Yeah, the late Julio yes. Kanani, in fact. Yeah, the late. Um, yeah, yeah. He was, uh, that was one of, Kanani won th two or three miles. I think he trained Val Royal as well. Um, he had a lot of good horses between 95 and 2005. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah, he was, he was the nuts back then. I mean, yeah. Sharp, sharp. Training. Long on the turf. He was tough to beat. No doubt yep. about it. Yeah, yeah. Silic. I remember Silic. Yep. Race number eight is the Tory Pines, a grade three at a mile on the dirt. And we will talk about, a Bob Baffert runner that's favored here on the surface that we're more accustomed to seeing Bob Baffert runners on. That's Faza, who is an eight to five morning line favorite. What did you think of her and this race in general? Yeah, I, you know, I, I thought she was going to be pretty tough. You know, she's undefeated here in Southern California. She's been freshened for this spot. She should get a great stocking trip in the clear with no kickback on what has been for most of the meet, the best part of the track. You know, it has tilted a little bit towards the outside lanes. Obviously, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't already know. Um, you know, I, I, I don't see any use for me to try and be here, uh, you know, be FISA here. But I did I did come up with another horse that I was I was absolutely considering using as an A on all my tickets just to be a little sneaky and maybe, you know, separate myself from the pack a little bit. I thought number four coffee in bed was a little interesting. I thought she had a chance to spring the upset. First thing, there, here's a few things that I like. First off, 
I thought her debut was exceptional. I thought she showed a lot of class, a lot of talent, a lot of precocity. She won at first asking for Mandela, doesn't often have them fully cranked. We know he can win with firsters, there's no doubt about it, but more often than not, he's typically patient. Uh, but I just like the way this, you know, this girl did it. She showed a strong stretch run at six furlongs and she galloped out like a monster. I mean, I tabbed her as a, a horse to watch off that race. She needed two months off, she came back, she lost to Anywho, who's also entered in this race. I actually liked Anywho this day. I didn't like Coffee in Bed. Uh, so I'm willing to forgive that race. I think she was probably a short horse. Again, she needed a few more months, which I'm not crazy about, but she finally strings two races in a row together. She came back and faced older horses last time in a six furlong sprint earlier in the meet, ran a decent third. I think that race should set her up for two turns. And here's just one angle I'll throw out there because this is almost an automatic play for me. Whenever I see a horse in a dirt sprint who runs their final eighth faster than their previous one, more often than not, that horse will be able to stretch out and, and excel around two turns. And that's the case with, uh, with coffee in bed. So she's never been around two turns before. She's going to have to try and beat uh, anywho, who's already beaten her, she's going to have to try and beat Faza, who I think is a monster. But I don't know. I think she's going to outrun her 12 to 1 morning line odds for sure. Yeah, I felt obligated to entertain any alternative to Faza. And I spent a long time looking at this horse, ex expecting that my angle would kind of be that a curl in Philly would really relish <laughs> the additional ground. And then I looked at the dam side, and it's funny, the dam side is loaded with sprinters. Yeah, it's like very, very heavy on sprinters. And so I, I didn't expect that. I expected it to be much more of a route oriented pedigree. Uh, with that said, I mean, I, I think I think Mandela is a guy that you would expect that if he's going to move a horse up in class and do something distance wise. Yeah. And I think he probably has a general idea of what they're going to be able to do. <laughs> I, I didn't. I, and, and maybe I'm personally biased because I really needed Faza to be second in the Black Eyed Susan because oh. I like Max as well. She was awful. And, she was and, terrible. Terrible. And, and you know, she she's gone on the shelf since there's a couple of 12 plus day gaps in that work tab. You know, this is a Philly that I would generally have expected Baffert to send to the cotillion. I suppose he still could. I think he might be trying to figure out just how good she is. Maybe. I get ceiling crusher. And I know people are going to think that's nuts. I, I think Ceiling Crusher's last race is way better than it looks on paper. You want to talk about indecisive. Juan Hernandez rode her like she was 1 to 10. Well, she was almost 1 to 10. She was 1 to 5. But he rode her as if it was a fait accompli. She was going to win that race. He got her into a series of tough spots. She got shuffled out on the turn. She angled back down to the rail. This is not a filly that's going to make a prolonged bid up the inside at two horses that have a couple of lengths on her. She needs to be engaged. She needs to be much closer early. There are two speed horses, at least in this field. But I think she ends up getting that outside stalking trip that works so well at Del Mar. And so I, I wish she was going to be a bit better price. I think a lot of people are going to end up here as well with the, the ones in her past performances. So that's the only drawback. Yeah, that, you know, that, that's funny. Yeah, I was really surprised. I actually was really surprised at how short her morning line was. You know, Calbred now facing open company. Um, so that that surprised me a little bit. But I, I mean, I agree with you. Well, I will just politely say that there were a lot of people at the track that day who were baffled by the ride that Hernandez gave this horse. I mean, this horse is fast and she could do whatever you want her to do. She is a really, really nice Calbred. So yeah, I agree with you. You can just draw a line through that last race. And then if you go back and you look at her Santa Anita form, I mean, I know she only beat three other horses in the Malaire, but she won by 17 lengths and the horse she beat 
Tom Zagret, who's a nice Philly, came back and won. So, um, no, I, I mean, if you liked, and, and, and also to your point about being aggressive, they put on Maldonado. Right. So, you exactly. know, right away, out of the gate, this horse is going to be in a great position. Whether, whether, you know, the other ones take back and this one wants the lead, Maldonado can get it. If he doesn't want to get into a, you know, a, a duel early, he can sit right off. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a great pick, Nick. Um, and I looked at this horse long and hard. But again, I was just a little, I was a little surprised at the, at the short morning line, considering, um, you know, FISA and a couple of the other horses that do have a little bit of open graded stakes for them. I wonder if part of it is that there really isn't a clear second choice. And yeah. so that made this horse's price kind of have to get drift, drift down a little bit on the morning line. I think any who is going to get a lot of money um, just because she's got some fast speed figures as well. Yeah. The problem with her is that she wasn't, she didn't run well in the summertime Oaks. So, I mean, there has to be at least some level of concern that maybe either she's not as good without Lasix or, um, perhaps that was just a, an uncharacteristically dull effort because her other two races for John Sadler have actually been very good and yeah. speed figure wise, they make her a major player. Yeah. But I mean, maybe she's just a sprinter, you know, I mean, maybe she didn't handle the stretch out that well in the, in the summer Oaks. So, um, and again, to your point, you, you mentioned the, the Lasix on the Lasix off thing. That's something, you know, I always say as a, as a horse player, evolve or die. Right. So yeah. with the Lasix rule changes in the last couple of years, that's one thing that I, I haven't been paying as much attention to as I should, because you will see horses whose form on Lasix is terrific. And then you see those couple of races where he or she can't run with Lasix and they're, they're not nearly as good. So there's has to be a correlation there, right? So, but it's just not something that I'm, I'm consciously aware of when I do my handicapping and I need to, I need to be better at that. Yeah, it's something that uh, that I've tried to integrate a little bit more. Yeah. I don't get overly fixated on it, but and, and I've learned that the hard way at times because some of the horsemen out there are just good enough to figure out how to do it. You know, sure. you you take a horse like um, like the like Coffee in Bed that you mentioned. She's going to be first time off Lasix, but I'm pretty sure Richard Mandela is the kind of guy we can trust to have a horse ready yeah. when they're coming off of Lasix. It's worked yeah. for him quite a yeah. few times in the past, so. Uh, that is the Tory Pines leg number two of this late pick five. Let's shorten it up and head to the turf for the green flash where they're going to be flashing down the backstretch. Oh, That's where this race is loaded with speed. What an awesome race. And, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of the five furlong turf sprints, mostly because I stink at handicapping. Them. Me, but, me too. But this, this race is just incredible. And again, I, I promise you, I'm not on Phil D'Amato's payroll. I'm not getting paid to say this, but... Again, I think he holds the keys to the race in here, mainly because he's got a three-headed monster, all with varying running styles, right? He's got Beer Can Man, who can kind of stalk the pace. He's got Turn on the Jets, who can kind of track the pace. And then he's got Motorious to come from the clouds and maybe mow them all down, uh, you know, in, in, the, you know in, in the shadow of the wire. So I had a, a really hard time trying to be clever and, and looking elsewhere. If I had to go with a top pick in the race, I would say I'd go with number five, Beer Can. Uh, first of all, he never runs a bad race. I mean, all this horse does is show up, try his heart out. Secondly, even though I know Turn on the Jets, his stablemate just beat him by a head last time in a prep for this, I think there's a world in which this one might not have been fully cranked. He was coming off a bit of a layoff. Turn on the Jets already had a race under uh, his, his belt off the layoff. And they both ran terrific. So I think I think uh, Beer Can Man can turn the tables. And I think Beer Can Man is going to get that good forwardly placed trip, but not too hot, not too close to, to the hot pace. 
And then, like I said, I, I, I do think turn on the Jets. How do you knock a horse who's three for three over the Del Mar course at this distance? And then Motorious. I mean, this horse ran some monster races last year. Hasn't been seen since May 2023. So we'll see if the five-year-old can show up with the same late kick he showed last year. But, you know, the works are pretty good. D'Amato knows how to get one ready, so I'm not too concerned about that. The biggest concern to me is that this is a big, full field. He's going to be out the back. He's going to need a little luck, and he's going to need the jockey to make the right decisions as he's weaving through traffic trying to get to the wire. So there's very, very little room for error with a horse like that. But, um, again, D'Amato's three-headed monster. I think he can attack the race in three different ways. So it's going to be uh, very exciting to watch. Yeah, I mean, arguably, he's got three of the, what, four or five best horses in this race, it would seem. You know, maybe Laneway is one of the ones that that gets mentioned otherwise, but um, maybe, and Brand is off a long layoff. He's yeah. tough to take. I picked turn on the Jets. I, I thought, yeah. I think that he is probably, to me, the most versatile of the, the D'Amato trio, only because... He's quick enough to get a good position, yeah. but if they're really burning, he can take a little bit off of it. Yeah. Whereas you feel like maybe, in, I mean, if they're really flying out of there, and I mean, this thing has Kid Corleone and Fast Buck went crazy fast last time out. Bus Buzz is totally one-way speed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Noble Reflection isn't even going to be fast enough to get the lead in here, and he's yeah. quick. So if they really burn, I thought turn on the Jets could maybe come from a little bit farther off of it. But I mean, the quicker they go, obviously, that brings the notorious types of, of the world into the equation as well. Um, it felt like just a really, really difficult leg and one that you're going to you're going to kind of hold your breath that last 30 seconds or so, hoping that your horse gets the right trip and, and gets a clean path through there. I thought Motorious's effort in the uh, turf sprint at Churchill on Derby Day was outstanding. Yep. It really felt like he was the only horse who made up any appreciable ground in there when uh, Nobles wired the field. So I I'm expecting a, a big effort from him. And I thought it was kind of funny with the number of horses in this race that Flavian Pratt has ridden in the past, and he's coming over for this card. He ended up on Paxawallop, who is shortening up in distance for Jeff Mullins, ran some good races last year, but just seems like a 30 to one shot. Yeah, I mean, this was... This horse definitely has ability, but uh, I have to think this is probably a prep race for something else. And I think uh, all of the other good mounts were probably taken before they knew Pratt were co was coming to town. Uh, here's what I wanted to ask you. This will be very interesting. Uh, you know, Riskfully got hurt yesterday, so I'm assuming he's not going to be riding tomorrow because he took a pretty pretty nasty spill in an accident where you know horses were in tight quarters. He was knocked off stride, clipped heels. Horse is fine. You know, everybody else is fine, but. He, he fell pretty hard. So I, I'm not sure if he'll be riding. It'll be interesting to see who D'Amato gives that call to if Rispoli isn't in the race. Yeah. Um, I, the last I heard, in fact, 30 minutes ago, yeah. Steve Anderson tweeted that he's hoping to ride tomorrow. Really? So okay. I don't, I don't, yeah, they said every scan and stuff was clear, okay. but I mean, obviously he's going to have to convalesce for today and, and see if maybe he feels a little bit better tomorrow. But no, that's a huge, that's a huge part of it. Not only because I mean he's having an incredible meet, but he rides the turf so well. Yeah. And um, and, and he would have been uh, he was obviously going to ride Motorious here. So we'll have to see. But that that'll be one development that uh, that really does have an impact on the card itself, no doubt about it. What about Lane Way for uh, Richard Mandela coming back off a break? This is a horse who's run well at Del Mar, really run well everywhere. He's won that I felt like was versatile also in that if they do go particularly fast, he could probably take back and make one run as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Laneway is a very, very nice horse. Um, I happen to think, and he is versatile, but I, I happen to think he's just a better, I think his best races have come down the hill. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, yeah he's over two here 
at the five furlong distance. Um, so that gave me a little bit of pause. But yes, I have him on my spread underneath my B, my as a B level contender for sure. Um, again, you know, Mandela just he just shows up on these big days. You know, he's such a great old school horseman. He knows to circle a date on the calendar, and he knows what he's pointing to. He always has. He's a man with a plan. And I love a man with a plan. So uh, I'm pretty sure after he laid this horse up after the clocker's corner, he was thinking about a Breeders' Cup run. So, hey, let's come. Let's run in the green flash. Win and you're in. And then we go to the Breeders' Cup. So, yeah, I think Laneway absolutely has a chance. Yeah. The Breeders' Cup turf, which will also be run at today's distance of yes. five furlongs in November. Laneway, a horse that uh, you can envision maybe prepping for. It's the Eddie D that goes down the hill on opening weekend, right? That's Yeah, I believe race. that's it. Yeah, they, there's there, which used to be the traditional prep race for the, you know, for the for the for the turf sprint. Um for when it was down the hill, you know, at Santa Anita. But I will uh, yeah. not I will not comment on that race not being down the hill because Agreed. I agree. But I will say this. I think probably one of the most exciting Breeders' Cup races I've ever seen was Bobby's kitten I down the hill. In that yeah. was that unbelievable? Unbelievable. That was <laughs> sort of the epitome of why the hill is awesome. Right. That was like exactly why down the hill is awesome. Yes, exactly. You just you bring together, and I remember I remember it like it was yesterday. Walking into Santa Anita thirty years ago, seeing the hillside turf course, and thinking to myself, "I really am going to have to work hard to find something cooler at the racetrack than that Agreed. that that configuration." It's incredible. Agreed, agreed. And and the beauty of it is, as we saw with Bobby's kitten, you're never out of it, and your no lead is ever safe when it comes down the hill. It's just a fascinating race to watch. It is the most interesting configuration in American racing. Yep. No question about it. Well, speaking of interesting races, let's talk about the FanDuel Racing Pacific Classic, a million dollars on the line at a mile and a quarter. And Frank, I mean, not only is it amazing to see this kind of field size in an older handicap race, I, I can't tell you the last time the Pacific Classic field was this big. I can probably almost assure you it was run on a synthetic surface. Yeah. Uh, but this is a really, really good bunch going postward. And it's exactly what you want to see, right? The older horses in this division, both east and west, have been decidedly underwhelming throughout the year. And so here are three three-year-olds taking them on, two of whom really have looked at times like they have the potential to really be major players amongst not only their generation, but maybe even older horses as well. They've been installed as the two morning line favorites. I'm speaking, of course, of the one go rocket ride and the nine Arabian night. Are you on either of those two or did you look elsewhere here? Yeah, and yeah, there's Skinner too, another good three-year-old in the race. So yeah, three three-year-olds. And, and I agree with you, Nick, it's great to see. I mean, you have a good horse, take a shot in a million dollar race. You're going to have to face older horses at some point, right? Why not do it in a million dollar race? These are ascendant three-year-olds. They're only going to be getting better because they're all trained by, you know, you have Mandela, Baffert, and Sheriffs, you know, three of the best yeah. out here in California. So absolutely take a shot. I looked at all of them long and hard. And um, I, admittedly, I had a little bit of a tough time with this race, but I'm going to go with, with a, a gut feeling I had right after the San Diego. I was super impressed with slow down Andy's race. I thought he ran best in the San Diego. Um, and right after that race, I said, man, this horse is going to be tough in the Pacific Classic. The distance is a little bit of a question mark, so I'm worried about that mile and a quarter. But uh, I still think he's got a huge shot all these weeks later. You know, first of all, he's just a cool horse. He's a graded stakes winner on both turf and dirt. He ran third in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile last year as a three-year-old. So I believe there is still a lot of upside for this four-year-old. As for the San Diego, yeah, I mean, if you watch the race, it kind of looks like he got a perfect stalking trip. 
and should have won. You know, I think if you're looking at it just from, you know, just a, as a, an objective point of view on, you know, just the way the race unfolded, he probably should have won. But more subjectively, just knowing how the track was playing that day, he was forwardly placed on a closer bias track. He was on the worst part of the track, not where you wanted to be. I can see him getting the same type of stalking trip here, but kind of in the three hole, uh, the three path outside. And that could make all the difference in the world. Again, 10 furlongs is a big question mark, but he's my top pick. I, I'm expecting him to fire a big one today. And O'Neill has been talking talk about fire. O'Neill has been positively on fire the last two weeks. Uh, you know, he went from, uh, you know, way back in the standings to now leading trainer uh, when the week started. Yeah, I, I thought Slowdown Andy ran extremely well in the San Diego. I had... I watched the race live and and I had a the viewpoint afterwards that you know slow down Andy was clearly a horse you wanted to bet coming out of it and every subsequent replay I watched it I felt like I I was reminding myself that even though the race set up well for it Senor Buscador really made the only meaningful off the pace move yeah. I, I I I mean I think that what it boils down to is what you brought up is whether slow down Andy can handle ten furlongs I mean yeah. that's that's really what it is the good thing is that you're getting you're going to get eight or 10 to one on a horse trying that instead of three or four to one. Yeah, exactly. Like I, if the horse was, yeah, three to one, I'd be way less interested, but I do think the horse will be close to the morning line, if not a little higher. So um, at, at that price, I'm willing to pay to find out, you know, now two older horses I wanted to ask you about having plenty of familiarity with each uh, because of their exploits in Southern California. What the hell happened with defunded last time? I have no idea. Um, all I can say is that, you know, he ran a, a total uh, dud of a race last summer at Del Mar. Yeah. Maybe he just doesn't like the, 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 the summer air here because he came back in the fall and he absolutely he looked, he looked great. Yeah. Exactly. He, right. he dominated. And then since then, he, you know, was rattled off a string of incredible races. And then all of a sudden here, he just, he was flat. He was just absolutely flat. Um, you know, if, if, He's the defunded of, you know, the early spring. Yeah, he's going to be absolutely very tough. Uh, but I, I was I was thinking about taking, you know, I, I mean, I am. I'm taking him on. So, uh, but yeah, he's absolutely fast enough to win. And, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, wish, I, wish, I wish I knew, like, oh, he threw a shoe or blah, blah, blah. Don't know. He was just flat. Yeah, he just didn't run a step. And the, my problem with him is that, I, I think he's really all in to get the mile and a quarter Agreed. under ideal circumstances. Agreed, yes. so I can't take him off a bad race, right? I can't, I can't take a horse like that in good faith at four to one or, or seven to two coming in off such a poor race. The other one I wanted to mention, cause I do think he's, he's pretty consistent. Otherwise, even with his bad Stephen Foster effort is stiletto boy who has done some great work in Southern California. Not necessarily though at Del Mar. No, that was the big, the big, glaring thing over for at Del Mar but yeah to this horse's credit I mean he's won almost two million dollars I mean hats off to Ed Mosier for for you know campaigning this horse and and doing a terrific terrific job with him um I've never been uh, a huge fan I'm a fan of his work ethic of the stiletto boy's work ethic um you know I think he's a very hard trying horse but he's not, he's not flashy to me. And, you know, I know he wanted the grade one Santa and need a handicap, but he just doesn't feel like a grade one horse to me. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. It's just, it's weird. Um, <clears throat> but again, don't get me wrong. Like the, the horse is terrific. He's got a versatile run style. He can be forwardly placed in a good spot. 
he can win on the lead. Whatever pace uh, enfolds before him, uh, DeSormo will have some options. Uh, but I can see this horse, you know, just kind of sitting maybe third or fourth on, you know, third or fourth behind um, uh, uh, Arabian Night. And I think Defunded will be up there towards the pace too. Um, so yeah, Slutter Boy is going to get a great trip. And again, he's another one who I'm not entirely sure sure really wants uh, 10 furlongs. Like I said, I know he won the Santa Anita handicap by a, by a neck, but I, I don't think it's his best distance. And we know Del Mar is not his best surface. So, Yeah, I agree. I don't have any argument with any of that. I wish if I did like him, I would have probably wanted him to draw a little farther outside yes. only because I'd like, I'd like for him to stalk. I yep. think he's. I think he needs that trip similar to what he had in the big cap when he was victorious at thirteen to one. Um, and so now, now we can shift our focus to the three year olds because I do yeah. think that that they're going to dominate the wagering. Uh, and it starts with Go Rocket Ride, who comes in as the five to two morning line favorite off a, a win in the Haskell Invitational that uh, was really an upset, winning that day at twelve to one. Is that just a harbinger of things to come, or did we miss the wedding? <laughs> Well, I mean, clearly, clearly this horse has ability. Yeah, I mean, last time is the time you really wanted to have him at 12 to 1. Um, I, I thought the horse ran extremely well. I do think he got a, a favorable race shape and race flow uh, for that. But he won pretty impressively. And, you know, we, I keep saying, you know, Mandela, Mandela with a good horse and a target, he knows what to do. So it would not shock me at all if this horse stepped forward and ran another big race. Uh, I'm trying to envision what kind of trip he's going to get because I know Mike Smith likes to be outside, but the horse is drawn inside. So that hasn't been the best place to be uh, on this dirt track. I don't know what Mike's going to do. Um, uh, the horse is versatile. The horse can kind of sit off the pace, but is he going to sit that pocket trip or is he going to try to angle off and get this horse in the three path at some point? I don't know. So that, that kind of worried me a little bit. I'm just not sure how the race is going to unfold for him. Yeah, that was my problem. I didn't love the rail. I thought that could be detrimental. I also felt like one of DeZormo's responsibilities with Stiletto Boy was to just make sure that he stayed right with Go Rocket Ride. Yeah. And, and if he did so, then what was going to end up happening was that Go Rocket Ride was going to end up stuck on the inside the whole way. And, right. you know, as we've seen play out over the last 30 days or so, that's just not where you want to be on, on this main track. You want to be outside in the clear. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's generally a very heavy inside. I picked Arabian Night. I'm a bit of an Arabian Night fanboy. This might be it for he and I. But, you know, I, I just – I don't love – I don't I don't love the race he ran last time, but I don't dislike it either. I think he was a horse that was probably still working his way into fitness in a way. And and he kind of ran in spots a little bit. Um, John Velasquez was with it with a very un John Velasquez like ride was somewhat indecisive. He he put him on the lead. He got pushed by a long shot. He kind of played possum with the long shot down the backstretch. And then the whole pack swarmed in. And, And the problem that Arabian Knight ran into in that scenario to me is that he's not winning three furlong sprints from the three eighths pole home with a one length advantage on horses yeah. like Go Rocket Ride or Mage or anybody yeah. like that. He needs separation. He needs to make them run harder early to keep up with him. And I think this is just an open throttle, come catch me type situation where, you know, he's going to do that right from the start. I think it's also a bit of a tell and it's, it's very difficult to interpret what Bob Baffert does because you, you look at some of the things that he does, some of the things that he says, 
I actually kind of like that he's pretty much said from the beginning that this horse is going to run in the Pacific Classic. He wasn't going to bother with the Travers. He was going to keep him at home. And I think that might be a little bit of an equalizing type of thing as well. So I have no problem with Pratt getting on board. And I just don't know who is supposed to take on the responsibility of keeping him from establishing a comfortable lead. Because horses like Slow Down Andy and Defunded, I mean, if they really want to push him early, they're going to pay the price. They got no shot. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think Arabian Night has a clear pace advantage if Pratt wants it. Um, this is a fast horse. This is a talented horse. Um, I, I don't mind the defeat in the Haskell. I, I, I agree with everything you said. I also, I, I do. I think he was a short horse. I know we always say, Baff, I always say Baffert never sends out short horses, but if his plan was to win the Pacific Classic, he didn't need to win the Haskell, but he had to make sure his horse got something out of it. So this horse, I thought set, you know, according to the numbers I use, set pretty fast pace. And, you know, dug in and held on for as long as he could. He's going to get so much out of that race. And, uh, you know, like we were talking about, you want to be drawn outside. It gives plenty of options. If any of those inside horses want to try and make the lead, they can. And Arabian Night will be right latched on right to them. I have a feeling they won't because Arabian Night out of the gate could be two or three lanes clear. That's how fast this horse is. And I agree with you. I mean, he could just run. He could just wire the field. And if, if the other horses do try to push him, they're going to get cooked. So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, I do like Arabian Night. My plan here was to single uh, slow down Andy as kind of a separator. And then I was going to use uh, Go Rocket Ride at Arabian Night uh, on my B tickets. Yeah, I like that approach. I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, one more uh, for us to touch on in, in a really just a, a very, very competitive race is a horse that we mentioned briefly, Senor Buscador who was victorious in the San Diego last time out, came from deep in the back to get the job done going away late. It felt like to me, he's going to be a good price again. If you didn't get him at 13 to one in the San Diego, I don't really know what a great bet he is at nine to one in the Pacific classic. I also think that one of the things about a mile and a quarter to me that makes it difficult for horses (laughs) that want to make up a lot of ground is that you need to make a long sustained move at a mile and a quarter. Whereas last race was perfect for like a quick bursting closer, which is exactly what he is. Yeah, yeah. The shorter distances, it's uh, the races tend to fall apart more, in my opinion. Right. Like you said, the longer distances, you have to make that sustained run. Um, so I have no, I mean, the horse ran terrific last time, but I do think he had the most absolute favorable setup. The track was so closer biased that day, and he got the right trip from the outside. I'm not knocking how he won the race and finished the race. Good for him. Hats off to Todd Fincher. But here's the thing that I took the most out of that race is right after the race, when they're talking to Todd Fincher, he said, man, my horse is exhausted, exhausted. And for the next couple of weeks, he kept saying that thing saying, Hey, we don't even know if we're going to run in the Pacific classic. So right away, I was like, if he shows up in the Pacific classic, I want no part of him because I know when I'm exhausted, it takes me a long time to recover. So, um, you know, granted he's, He's a five-year-old horse. I'm a 52-year-old man. But still, when a trainer says that to me, like he must have been really, really tired. He ran, he ran so for him, he ran the best race of his career. Oh, yeah. And he deserved to be tired after the race, you know. It was a really good race. But so I, I'm against him hundred percent. And again, I don't think you're gonna see that same kind of uh burst that you saw last time in a 10 furlong race as opposed to an eight and a half furlong race. Yeah, he's entitled to be exhausted after that type of effort. I I, I agree completely. <laughs> but we'll see if he gets a little pace to run at here, second off the layoff in the Pacific Classic. Well, that's a look at the featured event 
on the card. Although we really didn't talk terribly much about Skinner. This is a horse who was becoming kind of a wise guy, Kentucky Derby horse before he had to get scratched the week of the race. And then he came back and, uh, off a layoff and ran second in the Los Al Derby behind Reincarnate, who, according to what everybody out West is saying, is training like an absolute monster. I'm guessing he's maybe PA Derby bound or something like that. But uh, is, is Skinner a horse that can get a piece of this? Yeah, you know, I, I was remiss to say it. I also have Skinner on my beeline. Um, and, and to your point, he was all, he was also my wise guy derby pick just because I really love the way he finished up the Santa Anita Derby. Uh, making up all that ground on a, on a track where that's very, very difficult to do. Um, and that day, he just looked like a horse to me who would relish the 10 furlongs of the Kentucky Derby. So uh, it was very unfortunate that he got sick on the plane ride over, had to scratch out of that race. But, you know, Sheriff's being the good horseman that he is, did the right thing by the horse, freshened him up a little bit. Yeah, you look at the Los Al Derby comebacker, it just screams prep race, right? You know, just three to four wide, just running around the track. Horse was still good enough to run second. He can absolutely move forward here at a mile and a quarter, a uh, second off the bench. So it, it's a fascinating race, Nick. I mean, these three-year-olds are talented. They're good. And uh, it's exciting. I agree. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a tremendous addition of the Pacific Classic, a 10-horse field to go postward. We uh, learned earlier today the scratch of Katona, who will not participate, but otherwise uh, there will be a really, really strong group going postward in that penultimate race on the card. Let's get to the nightcap, race 11, the Del Mar handicap at a mile and three-eighths on the turf course. And Frank, this is a skull buster. Yes. What is already a very difficult sequence on a very competitive card. Yeah, I I have two horses. I'm going to build my my ticket around on the A-line and then – I have three on my B line, but I probably could have used seven or eight. Like, I mean, it is a super, super tough race. Um, you know, I've always been a huge Gold Phoenix fan. He's one of three D'Amato horses in this race. I keep saying D'Amato, D'Amato, D'Amato. Um, I loved Gold Phoenix in this race last year because I knew they were pointing to the race. Uh, he was very kind to me. I thought he was so game and gutsy when he won this race last year. Um, I think he's got a shot to repeat mainly because this horse loves Del Mar. Just throw out any of his bad races at other tracks and just draw a line through him. He loves Del Mar. He can stay, but he's gotten a little more engaged earlier than he used to. So I think he has a very good chance to just kind of angle over. Various can just kind of angle over and pick a spot depending on how fast they're going up front. You know, <clears throat> this five-year-old shows no signs of slowing down. I mean, I have a, I have a buddy who has a piece of the horse in – you know, he tells me that after every race, the horse is hardly breathing. You know, this horse just loves to run and can run all day. So I think he'll just be grinding and grinding and grinding, and he's going to stay all the way to the wire like he did last time. Post isn't the best, but, you know, I trust, I trust Barrios to, to do it, to give that horse the best chance uh, possible. Um, hold on. So, and then, wait, what? I, I'm sorry. I was looking at, what number is Gold Phoenix here? Ten. Ten, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Um, I was still on the other race. I was looking at number 11 Skinner, but yeah, so he's the 10 horse. And then the other horse that I like um, as my A horse is uh, number nine, Planetario. Uh, this horse was a group one winner in Brazil. I like that Mandela sent him back east to face grade one animals in the United Nations. He ran fifth, not great, but he wasn't beaten all that much. And I think that race will just set him up really well for this. I know his form seems to think that, you know, maybe the farther, the better for this horse. 
But this mile, this uh, 11 furlong race at Del Mar plays longer, um, you know, because it favors the off the pace type horses who can make that 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 kind of sustained run. So um, I, I think that horse will step up today. Those were the two, but you know, again, I could I, I can make a wise guy case for number four, miss the cut. I would want to use number five, Cap Can Peak, another Damato on my tickets as a B. And then I think number six, Awfully Naughty has a shot. This horse beat Planetario two back. So, um, you know, it's 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 a tough race, Nick. You know, it really is. And and uh, I, I mean, I spent way too much time on it, watched way too many replays trying to find a clue, and, and I yeah. shockingly missed them. Um, I picked Kathkin Peak, though. I'm glad you mentioned him. I think this is kind of a sneaky setup for an 11 furlong race and running him a mile, especially with him getting used a little bit early might just be exactly what he needs to be effective here in that he's not going to necessarily come from so far out of it. And he's going to be able to get a good mid pack stalking type trip. And I mean, if you're a time form us user, this race comes up with the no pace designation. So I don't think they're going to fly, you know, and you could easily see six or seven horses stacked up around the three eights pole trying to, to, to get it done from within range. So I'm not saying by any means, do I think Catherine peak is going to go to the lead, but I do think he's going to be somewhat close and that that might really help. He just, it, it's hard to project how these horses are going to go with so much additional ground, but he really has performed race in and race out like a horse who wants every yeah. bit of 11 furlongs or more. Yeah. I, I look at, I look at my racing form and I, I use the uh, incremental split so I could see what each horse ran internally and uh, when it comes to the turf racing, I look at the last, uh, the last fraction, and I circle everything that's you know decently above par. Circle, 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 circle. This horse's come home times are terrific. Yeah. So I'd be shocked if he didn't relish the extra ground. Um, I'm almost surprised that Damato hasn't tried to run this horse longer sooner. Um, so yeah, I, I'm not worried about that at all. And, and you know, you, you, if you look back um, on June 18th, Captain Peak actually beat Gold Phoenix. So um, absolutely has a huge shot. I might have to up, I might have to upgrade Captain Peak to the A now. The A line now. More the, the more we talk about it, um, I think that horse is sitting on a huge race. And again, a man with a plan. Horse came off a long layoff, prepped in the wicker. I'm sure Damato had this race in mind all along. So very very interesting horse in here. Yeah, I, I would think so. Uh, a horse I wanted to ask you about was Awfully Naughty, who had won a couple of graded stakes in a row prior to a try in the San Juan Capistrano. And he was well beaten by Planetario that day at even money. He's going to be probably five or six to one in here. And, you know, I, I went back and watched the San Juan Capistrano to try and, and see if maybe he had a, a reasonable excuse. This is another one of my chart caller laments, but traffic third. This horse had no traffic trouble at all. In a very, very, very brief moment where he didn't have a clear path, but it had no bearing on where he finished. He barely got up for second. I mean, he barely, yeah. barely ran down a very average horse for second. I want to give him an excuse for that race, but man, it also feels like he's going to need them to go way faster up front than they're going to. Yeah, he is, he's an absolute deep closer, and he did. He had a pace to close into last time, and Planetario was just, just the better horse. He blew his doors um, off, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just the way better horse, um, which is funny because then two back, awfully naughty beat Planetario. So um, I don't know, maybe it was the mile and three-quarter distance. The horse just didn't have the same kind of punch. Uh, you know, maybe the you look at the mile and quarter race and the mile and a half race, those are, those are pretty darn good races. Um, so... I don't know, but you're right. It's always tough to take a horse um, at a less than great price coming off a flat race. 
But that being said, I trust Michael McCarthy. I think he does a really, really good job. Um, I think he does a terrific job getting to the bottom of horses and putting a lot of stamina into horses. So it never surprises me when, you know, he'll have a horse stretching out and winning a route race. Um, I know this horse is proven uh, as a distance horse, but that's just something to note in the future. If you see Michael McCarthy horses stretching out, even going from a mile to a mile and an eighth, they're almost automatic bets for me, assuming they had run previously around two turns before, uh, and now we're getting more ground because he's just so good at doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Awfully Naughty, I have Awfully Naughty as a B contender, but I think this horse is probably better suited for your exotics, you know, your tries, uh, and maybe your supers than actually winning the race. Because like you said, he had no real excuse last time. Yeah, I felt similarly. Um, no real strangers in here, I think, for us to to spend a lot of time on. Azul Coast could end up finding himself on the lead. This is a Bob Baffert horse getting back to the turf for the second time. Nothing about this horse makes me really think he's going to be good on the turf. No, you see a horse like this, to me, it's kind of like, it's a desperation move. Let's take a shot. We have nothing to lose. Uh, you know, maybe we'll get lucky. I had no interest for Azul Coast, but I did mention Miss the Cut. I'll just give you a little wise guy. Uh, you know, analysis of this horse. This horse was running very well on turf overseas, also had a win on the synth. Then he comes to the States, and what does Sadler do? I mean, Sadler's a smart guy. What does he do? Runs the horse on dirt. And the horse actually ran pretty well. So I was thinking, okay, well, if Sadler thinks this horse is a dirt horse, then I, I actually picked him in the San Diego. I said, okay, well, so you prepped in that allowance race. Uh, came from, you know, overseas. He's going to run a huge race in the San Diego, and he did. He, you know, he, he kind of stunk, and now he's he's back on turf. So maybe the goal all along was to run in this race, and those were just conditioning races for this spot on turf, which is way more logical for a horse who won all of his races on either turf or sin. So I don't know. I'm spinning a yarn here. Maybe I'm, like, you know, reading a little too much between the lines. But I thought that horse was a little sneaky just based on the fact that he's getting back on his preferred surface after two conditioning races here on dirt, you know, in Southern California on dirt. I'll tell you at the very least, he should be dictating terms to everybody. I mean, he should be on the lead. Yeah. I don't see really a scenario where he's not on the front end and um, and what could happen from that point forward? You never know. I mean, you put a horse that has some ability on an isolated lead going long on the turf. I have definitely seen crazier results than this horse <laughs> taking the field wire to wire. So uh, I would have no problem with including him as yeah. a uh, as a backup as well. So I am sure you are licking your chops waiting for this card. And um, and Sundays is also very good as well. Um, it's been a, it's been an incredible meet. Hats off to the Delmar Racing Office. Agreed. Uh, the last two years, the racing here at Del Mar has just been exceptional. It's been a horse player's dream. I mean, we live for this. You know, all we ask for are full fields and competitive races, and then we'll do the rest. And if if we're wrong, we're wrong, and I'll, I'll live with that. It's the the worst when you have you know five or six horse fields. And to me, when I have a short field, it's so much. It, it's so counterintuitive because it sounds ridiculous. You would think a five horse field, you could nail the pace. So is I have so much trouble trying to figure out how those races in short fields are going to be run because I don't know what the jockey's going to do. When you have a big full field, more often than not, the horse is going to run to his running style because the jock doesn't necessarily have to adapt because it's a big full field and the race is just going to shake out the way it shakes out. And I have a much better uh, sense of the pace in fuller fields than I do in shorter fields. I know it sounds crazy, but that's just the way it is for me. 
No, I totally agree. And I mean, there's been no uh, no shortage of big full fields, especially on this card. But it's it makes for more competitive racing, no question about it. So they've called all the right shots with some of the programs they put in place to get horses in from out of town. And the stakes races have been incredible. I mean, it's it's been amazing to me to see how many stakes races, not necessarily so much on this card, but throughout the meet where yeah. horses have come over from the Midwest and from the East Coast to run in some of those stakes races just because of the lucrative opportunities. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I love seeing new faces. Um, and, you know, those barns have done, they, they've had some success. So, uh, you know, Amador Sanchez has come, done done yeah. pretty good here. Uh, uh, Crichton came from Gulfstream. He, he's doing he's doing okay. Fincher comes every year. It was nice to see him get a graded stakes win just for supporting Del Mar over these years. So, yeah, I mean, I love it. That's what horse racing is all about, right? You bring, you bring your horses and you run. May the best horse win, or at least the horse who gets the best trip. So. You got that right. Hopefully the one that we put the bet on as well. So Frank, thanks so much. We'll uh, look forward to frankly speaking tomorrow morning, getting us ready for Pacific classic day, which will start at, uh, I think it's a half an hour earlier tomorrow, right? One 30 local time, four 30 Eastern three 30 in the, uh, in the nation's most rested time zone that I reside in. So the central time zone. Uh, So Frank, thanks again. We look forward to uh, tomorrow's big card. Thank you, Nick. I always have a great time chatting with you. So I appreciate it. It was, I, you know, I did 52 minutes with you and 45 minutes with Mike Beer talking about the late pick five at Del Mar. I could have talked to both of you for hours and hours. So it's amazing. It was, I love it. It was great. It was great. Yeah, my many, many, many thanks, my friend. I really appreciate it. Big thank you to all of you out there who are watching. We really appreciate it. Rate, like, subscribe on the In The Money Media Network. We wouldn't be in existence if it wasn't for all of you, the horse players who help keep us going. Make sure you subscribe to uh, In The Money Plus so that you can get Frank's work through the remainder of the Del Mar meet, including this card. We've got six cards left at uh, the Seaside Oval, and we'll have Saratoga through the weekend, of course, through Labor Day, but I'm going to keep things going in the fall at uh, the Belmont at Aqueduct meet with some fun plus content then, so make sure that you get on board. For Frank Scatoni, for Peter Thomas Fornital, who is enjoying himself wherever he is, (laughs) Nick Tamaro here. Until next time, best of luck. 